The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Uh, good Monday morning, you're watching Scorebox with myself, Steve Sedgwick here in Vilnius, Lithuania, plus Jeff and Karen in London, and these are your headlines. So crude prices spiking to levels not seen since 2008 as Europe and the US move closer to banning Russian oil imports, with the Secretary of State Anthony Blinken telling NBC that sanctions are already having a devastating effect. We see uh, the uh, economy heading into a, a deep recession. Uh, we, uh, we've already had a major impact, but uh, we are looking, uh, again, as we speak, yeah. in coordination with allies and partners, at this prospect so, of banning oil imports. So Asian markets plummet with the Nikkei 225 hitting its lowest level since late 2020, with tech, consumer and auto stocks all leading the losses. Ceasefires fail in two key southern cities, with Ukraine accusing Russia of deliberately targeting civilians using the humanitarian corridors. We won't forgive hundreds and hundreds of victims, thousands and thousands of sufferings, and God won't forgive. Not today, not tomorrow, never. Russian President Vladimir Putin warns the creation of a no-fly zone over Ukraine would be seen as participation in the armed conflict, ratcheting up the rhetoric against the West. That very second, we will view them as participants of the military conflict, and it would not matter what members they are. So a very warm welcome to our program this Monday morning and Karen good to see you this morning and nice to see you. good to have us finally back around the set. Exactly, a big day for markets too isn't it? Oh absolutely, well let's talk about the latest on the situation in Ukraine. Uh, Russia has deployed now around 95% of the forces that were assembled around Ukraine before the fighting began as the conflict now enters its 11th day. That's according to a senior US defense official who added that around 600 missiles have been launched by Russia since the invasion started. That official adding Russian forces have not made significant movement in the last 24 hours, whilst also observing that the convoy outside Kiev appears to have stalled. Well, two attempted evacuations of civilians from one of the worst-hit cities in Ukraine were abandoned over the weekend amid claims from Kiev that Russian forces are continuing their assault. Authorities in Mariupol halted the evacuation after continued shelling disrupted efforts to create a humanitarian corridor. Moscow claims that Ukraine had refused to guarantee a ceasefire. The International Committee of the Red Cross has criticized both sides as it claims around 200,000 people were preparing to leave the city. Ukraine's president, Volodymyr Zelensky, said Russia had broken its promise to allow people to evacuate. And we heard promises that there will be humanitarian corridors. They are not there. Instead of humanitarian corridors, they can only make bloody ones. Today, a family was killed in Irpin. 
men, women, and two children right on the road as in a shooting gallery. Meanwhile, the Russian President Vladimir Putin said the resistance raises questions over the future of Ukrainian statehood. The Russian leader also warned that, no de- that any declaration of a no-fly zone over Ukraine by a third party would be tantamount to a declaration of war. Now we're hearing that a no-fly zone must be established over the territory of Ukraine. It's impossible to do so over the territory of Ukraine itself. It's possible only from the territory of some neighbouring countries. But any move in this direction will be viewed by us as a participation in the armed conflict of whichever side whose territory will pose a threat to our service members. That very second, we will view them as participants of the military conflict, and it would not matter what members they are. We are watching big moves on markets at this hour. Brent crude prices have hit a 13-year high, topping $130 per barrel as talks between the US and its European allies over a ban on Russian oil imports gain traction. Take a look at this spike in Brent crude. We're just shy of the 130 mark, but we have breached that in the past hour or so. And the gains 10% higher on Brent. We're up 21% last week. So another continuation, a very sharp, sharp spike in the price. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken confirmed the proposal is being discussed by Western allies, describing the conversation as very active. Speaking to NBC's Meet the Press, Blinken stressed he was keen to work in coordination with Europe, adding that they would keep ramping up the pressure on Moscow. We said um, many months ago when all of this started and we warned that uh, Putin was threatening this aggression, we said if he pursued it, there'd be massive consequences for Russia. And we've delivered uh, on that uh, on that promise. Um, You see it again in everything that's happening to the Russian economy. But uh, if there are things that remain uh, to do to increase the pressure, uh, if he's unwilling to stop the aggression, uh, we're going to do them. Let's get out to Steve. He joins us now from Vilnius, where the U.S. Secretary of State uh, will be, of course, later on. Now, let me ask you about the oil story, Steve. Already we are hearing later on on markets that we could see a $200 per barrel level if the West does cut Russia off. This would constitute an oil shock, wouldn't it? We do have central banks already concerned about inflation. Yeah, Karen, it would, it would be akin to the 1970s playbook of the kind of oil shock we're talking about. But I, I, I'm going to, with all due respect to the analysts of JP Morgan and others out there, they haven't got a clue where oil is going because we just can't judge whether it will be 150, 175, 180 or 200, $250 about. Nobody actually knows because this is an unprecedented situation. So I appreciate there's some very good analysts out there uh, running the slider all over this as well. But the fact remains, if you take off one of the biggest oil producers on the planet from producing pretty much the Western world and you can't can't replace that with barrels either from Shell and elsewhere in North America, if you can't replace it from Venezuela, if you can't replace it with oil coming back onto the market from Iran, then quite frankly, we do not know where oil is going as well. So I hear what the analysts are saying. They've got a job to put out prices and get their prices out into the media and out as well and into the market, but they don't know any more than the rest of us of where these oil prices are going. Uh, of course, there are an enormous amount of sanctions ongoing as we speak as well. Uh, and on this whistle-stop tour of Europe where the US Secretary of State, Anthony Blinken uh, is taking in many visits. Of course, he was at NATO where I was on uh, talking to foreign ministers uh, of the NATO grouping, plus uh, the 
EU and Sweden and Finland on Friday, and it was very interesting there. I spoke to Josep Borrell, the EU High Commissioner uh, for Foreign Affairs, who said to me nothing is off the table as well. So clearly these talks are ongoing as well. Mr Blinken talking about potentially going alone the US if they can't do it in a coordinated action. But already uh, we're seeing $5 gasoline plus and significantly plus in areas such as California as well. What's that going to do to the global economy? What's that going to do to consumers, to voters, dare I say, in the US as well, uh, and indeed to the economic recovery from COVID as well? But the US is looking at what they do irrespective of others as well. Sanctions are ongoing, and during this tour um, of Europe from Antony Blinken, he's also been down to Poland on Saturday. He went to the Poland-Ukraine border. There he met his counterpart, Mr Kaliba, as well. Kaliba once again bemoaning uh, the fact that there is no fly zone and saying that the Ukrainians are playing, paying in blood for uh, inaction from NATO. But Mr Blinken did hit back to a certain degree, saying, look, sanctions are having a real effect. Let's listen in to what the US Secretary of State had to say. What we've seen, I think, as Dimitro said, is, uh, is a sea change. Uh, and a sea change that's uh, being shown uh, around the world in terms of its support. Uh, there's a very, very strong tide in support of, uh, of Ukraine and uh, against the uh, horrific aggression committed uh, by, uh, by Russia. Um, Putin's made a terrible, terrible, terrible mistake in many ways. Uh, but it starts with the proposition that uh, somehow Ukraine doesn't exist as an independent country. What Ukrainians are showing every single day uh, is, uh, of course, exactly the opposite. Uh, that was uh, Secretary of State Blinken there speaking. Mr Blinken's also been talking about this other story that's been going around about whether uh, fighters, uh, former Russian-made fighters, uh, MiGs that are in the Polish Air Force, uh, can be sent over to Ukraine and replaced with F-16s as well. The uh, US Secretary of State said there are a number of challenging questions on this point as well, but the US is very actively looking uh, at supplying military uh, of resources, potentially including those planes, to Poland, uh, which would free up those MiGs, which the Ukrainian pilots, of course, are trained on, uh, that would be very contentious. And whether that means uh, that uh, the Russians would see NATO as getting more directly involved in this conflict, uh, that would be another very uh, contentious and issue that needs uh, working around as well. I just better tell you where I am as well, actually. Of course, we are in Lithuania. Uh, we're in Vilnius, the capital. It's an amazing city. It's got a beautiful old town as well. The place where I am now is outside the Foreign Affairs Ministry as well. Gabrielis Landsbergis, who uh, I also spoke to, of course, on Friday in NATO. He is the foreign minister here uh, in Lithuania. He and Mr Blinken will be holding a press conference a little bit later on where all these issues will come up. But don't forget what an important region and what a susceptible region the Baltics are as well. The Baltics, of course, all three of those nations, plus another five nations, primarily from Eastern Europe, all enacted Article 4 last week, which said they are very concerned about their security, their independence and the integrity uh, of their sovereign territory as well. So It'll be very interesting to see how Secretary Blinken has been reassuring uh, these countries, because if there is a weak point in the NATO alliance and the chain of alliances across this region, it is possibly the, the, the land um, territory which uh, links the mainland NATO and well with big Poland, of course, which is a huge uh, NATO contributor, and indeed the Baltics as well. They've got a very, very small gap 
uh, called the Suvalki Gap as well. It's around about 40 miles uh, as the crow flies as well. Uh, and to the southwest of that, you've got Kaliningrad, which is a Russian oblast ever since 1945. To the southeast of that, you've got the Russian ally Belarus. And we know the Russians have already war-gamed how you would cut off the Suvalki Gap as well, which would leave, of course, the uh, Baltics very, very vulnerable. So a lot of reassurance needed from the Secretary of State about NATO's intention, not only, of course, for Ukraine, not only throughout the eastern flank, but especially here in the Baltics. Uh, let me hand it back to you. Steve, terrific. Thank you very much. We'll come back to you a, a little bit later on. You can go to cnbc.com for more of Steve's coverage from Lithuania and why the country is particularly concerned with events in Ukraine and that extraordinary idea that the US will facilitate the supply of Russian-made aircraft currently in Poland for the Ukrainian Air Force. More on the story later today in Street Signs. Rosanna is going to speak to the Slovakian State Secretary of the Ministry of Foreign and European Affairs, Martin Klus. That interview coming up at 10 Central European time. Let's get out to Tamo Nabili from Singapore with the latest on the Asian market action. Tamo, I was just looking at some of the charts. I mean, on these markets, we're right back to 2020 levels on some of the Asian stock markets, given the extent of the selling. Karen, it's uh, getting a little bit ugly this morning. As you can imagine, you've already said in your headlines about where we've seen uh, the Asian markets activity so far. I want to just start you off by looking at the region as a whole, MSCI Asia Pacific X Japan. We're down some 10% since the beginning of this year alone. Only 2.5% today, which is a bit modest, but 10% since the beginning of the year. But if we go back 12 months to February of last year, we can see that we're down 20% in, in, the, in the year to date. So we're getting into bear market territory here. So that's the big picture. Let's have a look at some of the individual action today. And I want to start you off in China this morning because over the weekend we had a lot of us speaking in China around political and economic issues. Uh, and what happened was the Chinese government has said they're setting their target for GDP growth this year at 5.5%, which is more than many people had been expect expecting or predicting. China is going to have an expansionary fiscal policy focused on domestic infrastructure spending. Uh, and so that's, that gave the markets a little bit of a boost this morning. Uh, but we're seeing the, the the trajectory since then going downwards. Shanghai now 2% lower, Shenzhen down 2.5% lower. Uh, the dollar-denominated exports number also came in just a couple of hours ago, showing 16.3% year-on-year growth in their imports, which, uh, sorry, in their exports, which is better than expected, but imports are still failing to meet their targets. Among the other Asian markets, let's have a look at uh, the general picture, and as you can expect, red across the board. Uh, Hong Kong has had a really bad day. We're at six-year lows in Hong Kong now, 3.3% off at the moment. Moment. But the losses are across the board. Because of the oil prices, we're seeing particularly India, Thailand, South Korea suffering so far this morning. The Kospi in Korea, 2% off at the moment. Um, and in Thailand, Taiwan, 3% lower as well. Let me just dig you into some of the airline stocks, which give you a sense of how the uh, oil price impact has been uh, hitting these markets around the, around the region. These are the major uh, flyers around the region. Uh, let's have a particular look at Qantas, down 8% at the moment. We got some data on, on their hedging. It hedged 90% of its fuel in the current half, ending on June the 30th. It's also said it has hedges in places for the following half-year period, but we don't know too much detail beyond that. Uh, for Singapore Airlines, SQ has 
spoken before. It's only down 1.19% at the moment. It had hedged 30% of its oil needs at an average Brent price of 57 a barrel for the six months ending in March 31st. It also hedged 40% of its needs at an average of 60 for the following five months. So that's doing better than most this morning. Um, and let's have a look at Cathay Pacific. Cathay hasn't had a particularly good day, down 8% at the moment. It had hedged more than 60% of its first quarter consumption and about half its second quarter consumption up until now. Um, we can end off as well if we've got a, a picture of the major oil producers in Asia or the oil names in Asia. Obviously, you can imagine they're having a pretty good day so far today. Uh, Woodside almost 10% higher this morning and Fuji Oil in Japan up 13%. So a very mixed picture, as you can imagine. Uh, but that's what we're looking at so far today. Back to you guys. Tamor, thank you very much for running us through the markets there. A quick look at how we're setting up for that Wall Street day later on today as we have these significant concerns around the oil market now. And you can see equities are fading very rapidly, 51 down on S&P. The Dow called off more than 300 odd points at this stage and the Nasdaq 220 odd down. So you can see a very rough session anticipated later on. But I want to take you to some of the action we saw late last week. Don't forget investors have been looking at the developments on the ground around Ukraine, Russia, been wondering what the impact is from oil commodities and beyond the consumption patterns as well as a central bank that still seems on course to hike interest rates stateside this month so investors are piecing this together and you can see it was another rough old trading week the major averages are pulling back again for the friday session a fourth negative session in five for the s p and you can see across the board modest falls, steeper falls though for the nasdaq 1.6 percent down and that was a trend we saw over the course of the week fang stocks reversing the shed about five and a half percent over the trading week but big momentum names for instance around arc even steeper falls double digits a correction taking place even just at one week trading down by 11 percent over the course of one week so it tells you where investors just willing not to place their bets at this point around some of those big high risky momentum names I want to take you to treasuries as I mentioned, uh, central bank action is still quite key here and the messaging from the Fed about what it intends to do with the oil price. I think a lot of investors watching that. You can see we're at 1.7. We've given up the 1.8 handle. So we have moved south, as you can see on that trade. But for one, for me, on uh, the global bond market has been bonds that has dropped about 32 odd basis points over the last week and is now actually trading negative. So you're seeing these uh, key trades move south. In terms of the opening calls, the European markets had an incredibly rough trading week last week and it doesn't look like we're done with the selling yet if you think about the, the weekly action we were down 10% over the course of one week on the German stock market. Similar amount to on the French market. That's just incredible if you think about how strong we were trading so far this year. And some of these key markets we talk about, France, had been real standout markets to shed 10% so swiftly. And to see again, triple digit downbeat days anticipated today. It does tell you about just how sharply investors are reassessing. And now as we talk about another layer on top around this oil story, if the West does decide to cut Russia off. That could constitute an oil shock, a worst case scenario in many respects for a lot of marketplace. And you can see as a result, red arrows is what we're watching this morning, Jeff. Karen, thank you. Let's take the break. We'll be back in just a moment. Still to come on the program this morning, Chinese export growth slows in January and February due to the Lunar New Year holiday, as well as uncertainty over Russia's invasion of Ukraine. More on the story when we come back. And for more on the spike in crude prices amid uh, Russia's ongoing assault uh, invasion, check out the Scorkbox podcast.
Listen to CNBC's Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the biggest tech news from across the globe. Join me, Arjun Karpal. And me, Tom Chitty, every week as we bring you insights into the top stories, unpack the latest trends and find out where the industry is headed. Now available on Spotify, Apple Music and Google Podcasts. China is targeting GDP growth of around 5.5% this year. That's the lowest target in over three decades. Speaking at the country's annual political gathering known as the Two Sessions, Chinese Premier Li Keqiang said risks and challenges for development this year have risen significantly. China is also set to increase military spending by 7.1%. Premier Li said the extra investment is needed to protect the country's interests. We will fully implement Xi Jinping's thinking on strengthening the armed forces and the military strategy for the new era, work towards the goals for the centenary of the People's Liberation Army in 2027, and strengthen party leadership and party building in all aspects of the military. We'll enhance military training and combat readiness, stay firm and flexible in carrying out military struggle, and safeguard China's sovereignty, security and development interests. Chinese export growth slowed in the months of January and February due to the Lunar New Year holiday as well as uncertainty over Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Exports grew by over 16% while imports missed analysts' estimates. Which uh, leads us very neatly to Sam who's going to give us an update on this data and what it means then for this ambitious or is it ambitious growth target of 5.5% Sam? Hi there, Jeff. Well, as you say, the export's the bright spot once again in what is otherwise a slowing economy, which should be good news for those policymakers as they are sitting up in Beijing at the moment, deliberating a lot of those policies and just how to propel that economic growth to that around 5.5%, which, uh, as you say, was on the higher end of market expectations. But analysts have still said that's a bit ambitious, but it certainly was in line with a lot of those assessments and estimates we were seeing coming out of China, given that the provincial level governments did set their targets at around 6% on average. But back to that trade data, we certainly were expecting to see a slowdown across the board there given the Lunar New Year holiday. And this data does capture both January and February, certainly to smooth out some of those distortions caused by the Spring Festival. But uh, those exports, as you say, coming in better than expectations, really strong double-digit growth uh, once again, despite what is typically a bit of a slower period because of the Lunar New Year holiday. So that just clearly goes to show that China is still benefiting from this strong demand for goods out of the country. We do know that this is a time when a lot of these factories do wind down, of course, because of that spring festival. But this was the third year in a row that a lot of those workers were urged to stay put and not travel for the holiday period because of a lot of those travel restrictions to curb the spread of COVID. And so that certainly was what kept a lot of those factories continuing continuing to uh, keep production going and humming. When it came to those imports coming in below expectations, uh, analysts were certainly hoping that uh, this domestic demand and also those higher commodity prices would drive that figure up uh, slightly higher. But despite that, uh, we still saw uh, crude oil imports falling nearly 5% amid production curbs in China because of the Beijing Winter Olympics, natural gas falling as those red hot prices certainly weighed on some of that appetite. And iron 
ore imports were also flat as China, of course, we know has been stepping in to try to rein in these prices and some of that demand has been easing. So that all brought the trade surplus to nearly $116 billion, widening from that $95 billion uh, we saw in December. In terms of the outlook looking forward now, of course, the ongoing issues and tensions between Russia and Ukraine are certainly fueling uncertainties for the global trading picture. We did have the very powerful state planner making some comments about this off the back of this data today, actually saying that those rising global commodity prices uh, do pose challenges for China trying to stabilise uh, those costs. But it is confident that the economy uh, does remain resilient despite the uncertainties caused by the Ukraine crisis. So uh, a bit of confidence there. But to, as I say, did uh, strike a little bit of a cautious tone when we did hear that work report over the weekend with that around five and a half percent at GDP growth target, the lowest in decades since uh, 1991. Certainly an acknowledgement of those headwinds that we saw at the back end of last year being carried over uh, into 2022. And the key word here really now is stability, particularly ahead of that 20th Party Congress at the end of the year. Guys, back to you. Yeah, and Sam, just before we let you go, you mentioned Ukraine. Obviously, there's been talk that China could play a role as peace broker. Do we know anything about how this may start, what initiative China would make, uh, when the talks might begin? Yeah, it's really interesting, Jeff. I mean, we just had Dan and Hadley talking to Susan Shirk, an expert on this issue just in the last hour. And really, the consensus is that China is playing a pretty careful game at the moment. It is walking this diplomatic tightrope not to rock the boat with its good friend Russia, with this no-limits friendship that she and Putin have declared, but also its big trading partner, Europe. And so up until now, we have seen this very neutral position coming from China with this very measured response. It has been using this very careful language with things like exercise restraint, a peaceful solution and wanting dialogue. It continues to refuse to call Russia's move an invasion despite a lot of pressure coming from the West to do so. But also interestingly, despite the fact that China has this long running foreign policy of not agreeing with foreign interference and uh, interference in others' internal affairs. And so there are perhaps you could argue some inconsistencies consistencies here. Uh, but uh, certainly it says it won't sanction Russia either. It's not dramp- jumping on the bandwagon here. And, uh, you know, of course, we do know that China relies on Russia for a lot of its commodities. And there has been some suggestion perhaps this issue may bring the two sides closer together when it comes to those economic trade ties, particularly on the energy front. So we'll have to wait and see, guys. Back to you in London. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.